0: You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form, and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hello there. Welcome back to the pod. I am so honored that of all the Thousands of podcasts that you could be listening to in this moment, audiobooks, music. There is just, there's too much to choose from. Excellent content out there. So the fact that you are choosing this for the moment is such an honor. And I don't take it lightly. I want to bring so much value to you in each of these episodes and hopefully joy as well. So that certainly will be the case, um, at least in my opinion with the guest for this episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. Um, Before we jump into that, just a brief little check in on what's going on over in my universe. I am actually, as I'm recording this, I was like, "Mm, I have a little bit of time to spare here as I'm standing at the yoga studio waiting for the students to arrive. um, I am at Luna Yoga, which is the new studio that i'm teaching at in nashville i'm also teaching at sanctuary but i'm teaching here a class yoga for emotional well-being uh, weekly class and it's so much fun and i if you're in nashville i strongly encourage you to check out luna yoga um, on music row and even if you're not um Cece may the owner has been doing a lot of virtual content throughout covid And so you can be a virtual member and other teachers, including myself, will be recording some classes for the virtual library as well. So if you have any interest in that, um, check out thisislunayoga.com or thisislunayoga on Instagram. Um, It's awesome being a part of this team and the studio is very brand new. So uh, if you're hearing this and you know folks in Nashville, tell your friends, come on out. So anyway... I am standing here at the lovely little uh, welcome podium. And what else is going on? The play that I was in just finished the third weekend, so we had our wrap party. Um, my dad was very kind and, and came for the last show and helped to strike the set, so that was a new experience for both of us to have. Um, it is hotter than hell here and in many parts of the country right now with this heat wave, and... Uh, as I was taking a walk this morning with my dad it was at like 7 a.m. because it was already 80 something at that point and we're like well it's now or never so um, I was commenting that it you know as much as I don't love these days I mean I'm a heat girl I'm a Texas girl and and I do love some heat however if it's past a certain point I better be next to a body of water Um, otherwise I'm not going to be very happy. So, um, but it was still not too terribly hot or humid this morning when we were out walking and, you know, it really did make me appreciate those minutes, those moments where, um, especially when we can't be comfortably outside very much, the, the time that we get is so, so special. So I was just really keenly aware of that this morning and taking in all of the budding trees and the green everywhere um I do like this time of year, but man, I need some water. And actually, hot tip, if you have not heard of this because I hadn't, um, I always say that the thing I missed most about not living in an apartment anymore is not having access to a pool, um, short of like joining the Y and driving across town and, and then being surrounded by a bunch of little kids. So um, yeah, I missed that. But apparently there's this thing called, I'm assuming it's pronounced Swimply, like simply with a W in there, where it's like the Airbnb of pools. Like, oh my goodness, how is this just now a thing? I'm sure it's been around and this is just the first I'm hearing of it. But apparently it exists here in Nashville and one of my friends actually rented a pool for next Saturday and I'm going to join her and I'm so excited. I don't think I've been to a pool so far this year, so really, really jazzed for that. There's just something about being in the water and having that perfect combination of heat and cool and uh, floating. Floating is one of my favorite things. I wonder... hmm, I'll have to bring on a swimmer on the pod. I would love to talk to a swimmer because I've never really been... A swimming type. I like to float in the water. I like to kind of be leisurely in it, but I am fascinated by swimming. And I think there's something, you know, really intriguing about our relationship with water and being in the water. So that could be a really neat future interview. Um, Okay. I've talked your ear off enough in this intro before actually introducing our guest, the important part. And as I said before, I really think y'all are going to love this one. Oh my gosh. The book that she wrote, I I was only like 30 pages into it on a on a trip in March, and I was like, I emailed her, I was like, please be on my podcast. Your book is amazing. I can't wait to finish it on my next flight. So um our guest today is Laura Kudari. Laura is the author of the book Lifting Heavy Things, Healing Trauma, One Rep at a Time and she is also a trauma practitioner, certified personal trainer, and corrective exercise specialist. Laura lives in New York City with her husband, daughter, and their two cats. You can learn more about her work, the book, speaking, other writing at Medium, training, and all kinds of offerings at lauracudari.com. That'll be in the show notes, but it's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, Kudari dot and also on Instagram at Lara Kudari. This was such a wonderful conversation. I am so eager for y'all to hear it. So let's just jump right in. Laura, I am so happy to be sitting here with you today to talk about your wonderful book. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes. I think this was actually a gem. I, I get the little emails from Kindle every day on like, here's your daily deals. And most of them I'm like, yeah, 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 scroll. And I think that's when I was a like a gem that came up in my deals at one point, but I absolutely would pay full price for it and I'll probably get a hard copy just to have in my office. It's really <laughs> phenomenal. And happy book birthday that just happened. Oh thank you so much. Yes. One year is old. <laughs> yes. So exciting. So um so yes, I'm sure I said this in the in the pre-uh recorded intro, but lifting heavy things, healing trauma one rep at a time. Um can't recommend it enough. We'll get into all of the um goodness of what the book is and why I think it it is so important. Um, before we do that, let's spend a couple minutes dropping in together. So as always for folks listening, if you're in a spot where it's safe to close your eyes, great, or just kind of bring yourself more fully present into whatever moment you find yourself in listening and just start to settle into your posture, wherever you are, no need to change it. Just allowing your bones to settle into their joints, your eyes to settle into their sockets. Just becoming aware of what the breath is up to in this moment and what might be visiting thoughts in the mind. Any emotions or sensations that you're aware of in the body. Just taking this moment to kind of slow down and check in in ways that we aren't able to do through most of our moving through the day. To just ask, how am I doing? What's present now? No need to have any clear answers. Just notice what's emerging. I'm taking two more full breaths, maybe breathing into the belly and just coming back. So Laura, I would love if you could share a little bit with us about anything that you noticed. Ah, well, um, honestly, uh,
1: There was a, not surprising, but I I was like, oh, this is an interesting way to start a podcast for me. (laughs) Uh, There was a little bit of grief and sadness that came up, which is something that I'm dealing with today. Um, But also, besides that, I also noticed that I was like, really also happy to be here, you know, Yeah. Um, and how we can hold those things. I also noticed how you asked us to notice, which is like my favorite thing to do. just notice
0: that. I know I use that word all the time, but (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for it. (laughs) Don't apologize. for it. It's
1: so important. It's so important. That's so much of the work. Um, So I would say that's mostly what came up for me. Cool.
0: Thank you. So I think a lot of times this is kind of where I would ask, like, tell me a little about your story and what brought you to do the work that you do. And we'll get there. But I feel like an important sort of, um, thing to happen before that, a prerequisite for that question is really getting into something that you, you really focus on in the book, which is the agency that we all have over if, how, when, and with whom we share pieces of our story. So, um, you say in the book at one point, as a trauma practitioner who works with the body, I've come to understand deep in my own viscera that we can help ourselves and others Without focusing on the details of the narrative, but on the feelings, sensations, behavior, images, and meaning left behind. So, of course, you know you do share some of your your narrative, your stories um, within the book, and then there's also parts where you're very intentional, like in using the brackets um, rather than defining, you know, specific traumatic events. So. Yeah, I think before we get into what is your story, I, if there's anything you want to say just about that agency or why you felt like that was such an important thing to really emphasize throughout the book, I'd love to just hear anything you have to share on that.
1: Yeah, that was a really important, um, not, well, let me back up, not sharing my trauma narrative, as I call it, um, was something that became very important to me um, when I started to do my work in general. I'm putting myself out there. I'm I'm, I'm uh, hanging up my shingle, so to speak, as a trauma-informed personal trainer. I'm talking about my own experiences with PTSD. Um, and when I started to do this work, I really felt that the only way I would feel safe doing that is if I didn't have to discuss my own story over and over again. People really like They like a trauma story. And you know what I mean? It it (laughs) sells, you know, um, and in fact, I mean, that's human nature, right? Mm -hmm. Like human nature is to be curious and to want to know. Um, But I didn't want to share over and over again. And so it just really started as something to take care of myself so I could put myself out there and start doing the work. And over time, I, you know... I realize that, well, there's two parts to it. First of all, for the work I do, as you touched on, I actually don't need to know the narrative. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that people shouldn't share. You sure. absolutely need to share any sort of um, trauma with a person who's going to meet you, um, how you need to be met. You need to be seen mm-hmm. and heard for any healing to start happening. But I'm talking about sharing with everybody, every journalist who says, I'm going to give you a big article, but you have to tell me what happened. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. not going to, I don't, I'd rather wait for more clients than to, uh, you know, capitalize on my story. It didn't feel safe, right? So it was this whole idea of, for me, it was a personal boundary. And I realized I could do my work with my clients in the same way, because what I'm working with is the physiological, the physiological impact of trauma, not the story. What happens Mm -hmm. for everybody is different. All sorts of things can lead to a trauma response, right? We have some main things that we think of as traumatic, but there are things that you or I might experience that were totally, didn't even bat an eye that could be traumatic for somebody else based on their history. What happens though when somebody experiences trauma is something in their physiology. And that's the part that I work with. So in working with me, Um, people get a chance to continue to do healing work but get to separate and take a little break from their trauma story Mm -hmm. which is so important because we start to think we are our story we when we're doing the healing work it can become consuming and our identity gets wrapped up in this one thing that happened and what really um, was so interesting was when I started to I was like, okay, I want to write this book, but I continue to not want to share my trauma story. And now for bigger reasons, it's to protect me, but it's also to show people that they can be of service. They can ask for help without putting everything in places they don't want to. And I mean, some people, people who are equipped to who there are people who put their stories out there very publicly, who have a lot of resources and it is a healing experience for them, but it's not Mm -hmm. a healing experience for everybody. Um, So I was like, okay, I'm, I want to do this. And I met with my literary coach Mm -hmm. and I told her, I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to share my trauma story. Mm -hmm. And she said, so tell me your story. And I got all up in arms. And she (laughs) she was like, no, 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 I, that's not what I meant, Laura. She's like, our story, your story. Like, I know you were like a book librarian (laughs) and like, I was like, Oh, right. You're st- exactly <laughs> what you're catching on. Your story is so much more. And yeah. I was like, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and so we came up with a, a strategy. How can I, because there are times in the book where I do need to refer to the fact that I experienced a trauma and put it in context. So how can we make this work? Uh, and this idea of empty brackets coming to symbolize the like big T trauma narrative. Mm-hmm. Um and that's what I did. And it because I was I was taking care of myself and I was also taking care of my reader's nervous system, right? I'm not triggering if there's no there's no story in there that's too so triggering. A lot of the time I read books about trauma or I go to these trauma trainings and it is overwhelming because there's yeah. so much like secondary trauma. From consuming these stories, and I decided to give my readers a break. What was interesting was also something I hadn't even occurred to me: was some readers were experiencing that they were able to put themselves in the brackets, Mm -hmm. their story, um, which they found really helpful. So, you know, it just—it was an exercise in showing how we can do this work without either catering to market forces or (laughs) pressure or whatever, um, honor our own boundaries and maybe even take care of our audience at the same time. And what it did was it made it me very okay. Once the book came out and all these people were reading it, I felt okay. I, Uh I didn't have to be worried, stressed, upset. I had really taken care of myself and I had taken care of my readers.
0: Oh, that's, that's so incredible because yeah, we know that there are some really amazing books out there that could really help people in their healing. And they also already have to be kind of at a certain point in that healing in order to read the book, like the body keeps the score or something like that. Right. So, and the cool thing is you were able to do it in a way where it's not like you're absent from the book or that it feels like, you know, your, your story as a human, um, is not in there. Like you're very much in there. And even though you don't share the content of your trauma narrative, you share the process of kind of how you, you know, healed, including the messy parts, because, you know, it's like, it's not all like, and then I went to therapy and then everything was great. Right. Oh, like, I very- wish
1: <laughs> yeah. wouldn't that be great. Although I probably wouldn't have this career. If it was that
0: simple. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just, so well done. And um, I guess getting a little bit more into why, what, like why personal training? Sure. Um, yeah. Cause you, you say I'm not the typical fitness professional. Tell us like what brought you into fitness? Yeah. So, um,
1: you know, and this is some of the stuff that does get covered in the story, but like, I I am an unlikely fitness professional because (laughs) I was like the bullied, picked on kid in places that like recess and the lunchroom um, and gym class, especially. And so like movement and sport, I, it just all became like linked to humiliation for me. So who wants that? Right? Like, <laughs> like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, and so I really avoided anything like that for many years, but I had my back went out when I was 20. And it was just, you know, the, the orthopedist said you yeah, had degenerated discs, they've herniated. And it was really, it was really bad. Um, and he prescribed physical therapy and strength training. I did the physical therapy and it helped a little bit. And then I was like, well, fine. <laughs> and I, you know, I was still in pain, but I was like, I don't want to go to the gym. So I actually didn't do the strength training. And there was a seven-year gap between me doing the PT and the strength training. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, the impetus was finally that I wanted to start a family and I wanted to be able to carry my pregnancy and then be like an active caregiver. Mm -hmm. So that why was enough for me to like suck it up and meet my mom's trainer. She was like, I want you to meet my trainer. I just moved back to New York, which is where I live and, um, and where I'm from. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate, he was a really skilled trainer, a corrective exercise specialist, and also a very kind person. And he helped me train in a way that was like so, it not only got me out of pain, but it was empowering. And I started to learn how to just enjoy what my body could do um, and, you know, heal that sort of, you know, unlink humiliation with movements and sport and recreation. And I like fell in love with, um, I got the courage, tried it and fell in love with Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. So that was wonderful. Then I experienced my brackets, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. I experienced my trauma. And fortunately I had already learned how empowering sports and strength training could be. And so that I wanted to, I like, it was actually a, an unhealthy crutch at first, I went, mm. I wound up overtraining and getting severely hurt again, but holding on to the knowledge that moving my body in a certain way and um in a compassionate way and in a thoughtful way and a mindful way can also help you heal with something I knew. So I just worked really hard after the second back injury with the post-traumatic stress disorder to get back to a place where I could. Train in the gym, and I really started training very differently. And that's, you know, reflects how I talk about training and how I teach training. But it was, I picked the personal training route because I had had this experience. I knew I, in my own practice, I very slowly got back to strength training. I had a pain management specialist who kept saying, less is more, more is less. It was very annoying. I didn't want to hear that. I was like, no, more is more. (laughs) Ow. Um, So I slowed down and I began to really train very, really mindfully. So I was paying attention. I learned what's supposed to, you know, the things that your trainers and coaches should know, like, where does this movement initiate from? What should it feel like? And I began to focus on that. And so I could move without injury. And then what was happening though, as I was paying more and more attention to how my body felt, I was starting to communicate this with coaches and trainers in the gym and make decisions for myself about how much weight was on the bar once I got back to my sport. And that was even further, that was more empowering than getting Mm -hmm. praise. It was like, oh, I made this choice and it feels good and I'm doing my thing. And then the conversations My conversations in my life were getting better. I was noticing things in therapy. I was like, "Oh wow, this is really hard for me to talk about." I'm actually getting sick to my stomach because I was so practiced at staying in my body under stress that I was getting all this information from my body, and then I would was deepening my therapeutic work, Mm -hmm. and then it was showing up in my like conversations with my husband, and you know, that's some of the stuff uh, in the book you were talking about, the the messy Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, Um, and with friends, with family, you know, things shifted. And I started to, you know, oh, this is what a boundary feels like. No, no, you know, saying no to people. And um, I was like, holy cow. So what started as like, I need to help my back. And then I need to help my back again, (laughs) turned into this whole expansion of my vocabulary, my emotional vocabulary. And I was like, this is so powerful. And I then started to deepen my study of things like somatic experiencing. And um, there was no trauma informed personal training things out there. Like there was no course. So I just picked a healing modality that a lot of trauma therapists use that's body-based, which was somatic experiencing. Um, Sensory motor psychotherapy is also something that somebody might consider, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time you actually have to be a therapist. It depends, I think, where you are regionally. Mm -hmm. So I studied SE and, you know, eventually hung my shingle, like we were talking about, and um, there you have it. That's why. So that's why the personal training was, it just was, fit. And it's a way to be uh, in conversation with your body. And I've now combined that with a corrective exercise exercise specialist background as well.
0: And hey, somebody's got to make that the, you know, trauma-informed personal training curriculum. Is it going to be you? It's there now. No, no, no. (laughs) So
1: this is what's wonderful. So the work, I was like, okay, I want this to happen. I want this to be a thing in the world. Nobody's listening to me from the outside of the industry and I want it to change. So I'll get inside. I'll be really noisy. I was <laughs> <That's laughs> like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. But I did it on my own terms. And there was, you know, um, sort of the zeitgeist as well. Like the time was right too. You know, there mm-hmm. were people talk starting to talk about trauma. I was the first the my like real big aha was actually I really wanted to get this in the book somehow, but it just didn't fit. It's the Real mm-hmm. Housewives franchise. I've been watching that for a very long time. <laughs> and they used to be like, earlier seasons, they would be like, oh, that was so traumatizing. And as they progressed, there was like a big turning point on Orange mm-hmm. County when there was actually like an accident with a motor vehicle. And they started talking about trauma, correct, kind of correctly, quote unquote, yeah. um, and PTSD. And I noticed then on other franchises, they were, and I was like, the conversation shifted and people were starting to talk about trauma in this real way even on like bravo and i was pretty excited about that how mainstream it had become Mm. um i totally forgot how i wound up on the bravo Uh,
0: (laughs) the the who who's going to create the curriculum yeah
1: so i was like okay this is great i'm going to do this work and you know i fortunately there has just been enough interest and other groups and um there are two programs here in the United States now, which is really exciting for me. Um, One of them is trauma-informed weightlifting. And um, the other one is through an organization called Hope Ignited. They're Mm -hmm. different programs, but they're both great. Um, And They are really teaching this stuff, and there are more trainers doing this now, and that's wonderful. I'm sort of taking a step back um, and providing less one-on-one, and I'm working more doing workshops and speaking and moving a little more into um, well-being coaching and really focusing, working with folks who are having a hard time with the Physical, the, the exercise portion, you know, that's kind yeah. of the, the struggle area, and working with folks on how to create wellness plans and start introducing, you know, movement into their life, movement curious folks into their life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much that, you know, given all the lovely uh, things about our, our culture, if somebody wants to use movement as as a very effective means of healing, there's a lot of times a lot that we have to unlearn, you know, so just much. like you had to kind of unlearn the, the fact that, you know, exercise quote unquote, and movement had, had felt like, just like, Oh, this thing I have to go to go to gym and do, and just it's humiliating or it's just not, not joyful at all. And, um, people reclaiming that I'm sure there's so much of the work just around that part of it, which kind of takes us into, um, I thought we could. Talk through a little bit of each of the three sections of the book because I love how you um structured it, which is the conditions, activation, and recovery. So, you know, creating the conditions under which movement even feels like an option for someone yeah. um, is a part of that, of that first section of conditions. So is there anything else that you want to tell us about? Um, conditions and what that really means to you. Sure.
1: Yes. You know the the conditions of taking on a movement practice is something I talk about a lot. And the the structure is interesting. So conditions, whether you are like you're showing up to the gym, and you you're a, you're a regular. You even do a strength sport. You're a power lifter, let's say, or you just lift weights or whatever. You show up to the gym. Usually you. Have to put. You're wearing certain clothes, right? Um, you know, like powerlifters often lift in very flat shoes or special squat shoes, you know, and they get knee sleeves and all this stuff. Um, so you you're wearing certain clothes. You're going to wherever you go, you know. If you're a runner, maybe you do the track or a park or whatever. Um, so there's the environment. There's, do you know what you're doing? Do you need a teacher, right? So even just showing up for one workout, you do all of that Mm -hmm. before you even warm up, right? And warm up sort of eases you into the next part. So, but also when we're trying to bring something like movement into our lives or trying to do healing work and, you know, we're looking for a therapist or whatever, what we're looking for, we have to think about what it is we want our need, what our goals are, and start putting things in place to make space for that practice to even begin
0: mm-hmm. you know a lot
1: of the time people have very good intentions and they want to exercise more so they go to a gym membership and they go once or twice and yeah. gyms love this right commercial <laughs> gyms if you're paying the money every month but you're not using their equipment they don't have to spend as much money on taking care of their equipment and they're uh-huh. still getting their money. And that's not how all gyms work. And that's certainly not what all gym sure. owners think. But at the end of the day, that's a pretty good model for them. But if you think about, well, why, really, why am I showing up? Not just like, oh, I want to lose weight, which is what a lot of people mm-hmm. do. Or, oh, mm-hmm. they say, I, the doctor says I should move more. Okay. So you've been inspired by this sentiment, but why do you want to do it? Like, mm-hmm. that is a really important question to ask yourself. And then also, what do you need to do it? And by that, it's very practical things like a pair of shoes, or if you know that you want to do a particular type of training, a facility for that. Like, putting that stuff in place. So you're setting yourself up for success when it comes time to actually start. But I think a lot of the time we jump the gun, we don't do the planning. And then it's hard to make it sticky because it requires making a change in your life. It might be like a budget change or a little change to your schedule or a change to your mindset or all of these things. And, you know, that takes a little time and effort as well. But if you do the behind the scenes work first, you're really more likely to set yourself up to succeed. The same way if you're a person who works out regularly, but you show up to your gym and you're wearing, you know, I don't know, clogged high heel clogs, that's not (laughs) going to really serve you very well for your workout.
0: Yeah. Or squatting with improper form before you've like aligned things and in the set the conditions for a, a good mechanics of a healthy squat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that Mac it's really setting the conditions like in a macro way and in a micro way and those just individual moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And what was the quote that your, your trainer would say about like when you're setting up to do the movement, what is the coach quote? Kenny,
1: all he would say in his voice still, I mean, I haven't seen him in years. I'm just like here in my house doing weightlifting yeah. uh, con- conditions first.
0: Yep. And conditions that was first.
1: that encompassed you know, like the whole thing, warm up. But what he's really speaking to was the setup before an Olympic style lift, um, Mm -hmm. which is what you were speaking to. But, you know, I've taken it to mean this much bigger picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That we do like to leapfrog over sometimes and then go, well, why did I I can't ever make this work? (laughs) I'm never going to do it. Well, maybe we got to look at this foundational piece. Um, So then let's say we do that work of really Mm. reflecting and, and making a a solid plan, setting ourselves up for quote success. And then we're moving into that activation part, which again can be macro and micro, but for you, tell us a little bit about um, that activation phase. Sure. And actually what I forgot to mention with the
1: conditions phase is like also, which goes into the activation phase is, you know, having the things that help you take care of yourself, your resources, knowing those things too. Because that's important because as we move into activation, so go back to the example, I'm a power lifter. I'm showing up to the gym. I'm wearing the proper footwear. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to warm up. I'm starting to activate. And then I'm going to do my workout and my nervous system is going to go up and down and Mm -hmm. all sorts of things are going to happen. Or I have got all my conditions in place and I know my resources and I'm going to therapy and it's going to be a hard session. Mm-hmm. And my nervous system is going to go up and down and be all over the place. And I know um, I know that I can call a friend to come meet me afterwards mm-hmm. if I need that support on the way home. Um, so activation is really like, what happens in the gym or what happens in therapy, or, um, it's the idea of there's some stress happening, right? Cause when we're doing, even when we're having a hard conversation or we're working out, um, there is stress. We are, mm-hmm. we are electing for that stress. Like a lot of time we think of stress as a bad thing, Mm-hmm. And stress is actually a neutral thing, it's just a physiological response to a challenge, and that can be an emotional challenge or a physical challenge, and it can be internal things and external things. Exercise is a stress, doing the hard work in therapy is a stress. Um, so we are experiencing activation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the real trick when working with trauma is understanding. If it's you or if you are working or if you are a practitioner and then your clients, understanding that a person's capacity for activation and stress varies, first of all, day to day. Also, if you're working with a traumatized nervous system, it's often much smaller and figuring out how to recognize the edges because working Mm -hmm. within The area of capacity, but at the edges is how you increase capacity for activation and for being in the body and starting to notice things. So you can have conversations like, oh my gosh, I noticed I'm getting queasy talking about this. This is really hard for me to talk about. Mm -hmm. Doing that work means being able to sort of work at the edges, but not going past them. Because when you go past them, you sort of, you know, progress is never linear, it happens. Mm -hmm, And that's one thing I say mm -hmm. is like, you can't. This happens sometimes, so being prepared with your resources to help rec- recuperate from those moments. Mm-hmm. But ideally, you're working within that window most of the time.
0: Yeah, and you time. do such a great job at at kind of weaving in those those concepts, you know, polyvagal and window of tolerance and all of that into the book in a, in a way that's accessible and and you know relevant to how you're you're talking about it. Um, because yeah, I mean, it's true in movement and it's true in the sort of physiological, emotional side of healing that may happen in a therapy room, that if we're shooting way above that window of tolerance, we're just getting flooded and it's not integrating and it's not going to be really productive. And like you said, there may be times where we go above that window, but we don't want to make it a habit. And So if we show up to the gym and we just go hard and we, you know, we're, we're shooting way above our window, we're we're way too activated. Um, And then we wonder why, you know, Oh, my body, I'm not actually getting the gains that I want. Well, your body's not recovering and you're not, you know, you're going way harder than what your body actually wants. So um, yeah, that's, that's such an important piece of this is to be able to Really find that that Goldilocks window of activation, and to to know that that yeah, we're we're creating a little stress on purpose, but in a contained way, and ideally in a way that you feel like you have the agency to go. That's enough for yes, today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, part of the activation and and the exercises that you're taking people through and sharing in your own story. Is kind of figuring out like, and I guess this is both p- part of the conditions and the activation. Is like, what does my embodied practice look like if I'm, you know, either just as a person in the world trying to exist, and and I need a movement practice and embodiment practice, or as someone who's you know wanting to use that specifically to help in their trauma healing. Um, figuring out what kind of practice that is, is, is a whole process in and of itself and, and allowing that, that practice to ebb and flow and change with time, because you share in the book how, yeah, at Points for you, it was Olympic lifting or powerlifting or other strength training or yoga. And at times like yoga was very much not the thing that your body wanted or needed. Right. And I think right. that that's why I'm so glad that you're getting this message out there and that there's these organizations that are now training trainers to go and do this work with people is as a yoga teacher. Um, it's like that's over the last decade or so become a lot more mainstream of like trauma-informed yoga. Um, and that's great. And obviously I'm a proponent of that, (laughs) but it's not for everyone and it's certainly not for everyone at every phase of their healing journey. And in fact, It can be a thing that shoots people way out of their window of tolerance. And so therefore it's the opposite of helpful. So I wonder if you want to just say a little bit about either in your own experience or how you help clients in figuring out like, what does my embodied practice look like right now? Yeah, sure. So
1: yes, you know, for me, it's been a variety of things right now. I am swimming and Olympic weightlifting, right? And that's just where I'm at. You know, cool. um, and it it's a combination of figuring out what resonates with you, and so what that looks like varies. For some people, it's very obvious, which is great. They're like, "Oh, I love Zumba." Great, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. Or for some people, it's digging a little deeper. You know, I know a couple people who started doing stuff like bar, and then moved into like Pilates because they had a childhood dream of doing ballet, right? Mm. And they were they're not the typical bar people you picture coming out of the bar studio, right? Mm. They are all shapes and sizes. Um, They wanted to be a ballerina (laughs) for an hour. Yeah. Um, Whatever gets you in the door and whatever the thing is for you, you know, swimming was a choice for me recently. I realized my life has shifted so much. I'm just, I used to just walk all over the islands of Manhattan to do all the things. And so I was walking miles and miles every day. Now I do not. <laughs> um, COVID really radically changed the way I work. And I was like, oh, I need to do something. And I, you know, I, I row, you know, I have an erg or whatever, but I, was like, I have access to a pool and I always liked like swimming was something where I was kind of good at it as a kid. And so like, it's in there. So I knew it wouldn't be like the steep learning curve, but also with practice, I'd get better quickly, which always feels good. And I was like, I am famous for not loving the world of cardio, but I wanted to get more cardio in. And this seemed Mm -hmm. like a way that worked for me, right? Which was, I'm gonna see improvement really fast. I feel comfortable in the water. For many people, that's not the case, but I do. And it's been really sticky because I'm enjoying those things as I predicted. Um, so sometimes you got to get creative or, you know, it's more about relationships and, you know, you'll do anything with your friends and your friend loves cycling, you know, <laughs> whatever you have to figure out what works for you. And then mm. the other thing I talk about is that, you know, if it's not, because for some folks like the hurdle, you know, whether it's for now or for the long run, is too much to jump to think about doing a formal exercise. Like, it's like, nope, the wall is down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm going to say something that I think is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people say, but, <laughs> but hear me out. We move more than we realize. Mm-hmm. And I say this as somebody who has done a bunch of intakes with clients, and I go, what's your level of activity? And they, you know, and it was a lot of time it's like low or moderate. And then they say, you know, I don't exercise or, you know, I do a yoga class once a week or whatever. And I'm like, how do you get to your yoga class? How do you get to work? Do you have a dog? Do you have kids? What mm-hmm. kind of job do you have? You know, <laughs> it's, you know, sitting down and getting up is a squat. Like, <laughs> and I think, yeah. you know, yes, you know, maybe it's not like aggressive heart rate amped up movement, but we are moving so much more than we realize. And a lot of the time we can yeah. even take something we do and start turning that into like a practice that can work. Right. Yeah. um So that's something I've been really talking about more and more lately because, you know, I, for me the interest has always been like the movement curious the folks who like me like i want to feel better mm-hmm. i want to have a better quality of life but i, I don't know about this exercise thing right. right yeah like i i get that man and when I, I i like to be able to help the plenty of other people who feel that
0: way out there feel mm-hmm. seen and heard and let's figure something out let's get creative Right. It's kind of like, you know, mindfulness is to meditation as movement is to exercise mm-hmm. that even for people who, who, for whatever reason, meditation doesn't feel approachable. It doesn't feel like for them that, okay, there's plenty of other ways that, that you are already practicing mindfulness and that you can you do that even more on purpose, just in your life with the stuff you're already doing. And yes. the same thing with, with movement. And as much as like you know, especially coming out of like eating disorder recovery and eating disorder treatment world. Um, sometimes I struggle not to make exercise a bad word, even though I personally really love exercise, Mm -hmm. um, find it really joyful, not all types, but a lot of it. Um, but, but really it's about movement, right. And whatever that movement is, even if it is, I mean, the, the functional movement of putting up dishes from the dishwasher is even more important than whether I know, you know, how to do a reverse lunge properly. So <laughs> that functional movement is, is yeah, if that's what people want to focus on. Awesome. And you can make that even more embodied. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So then that takes us to the, the last section of recovery. And I'm going to start this with um, reading this quote from the book, cause I loved it. Um, you write your muscles don't get stronger. The moment you lift heavy things. They get stronger as you recover after you lift them and your body doesn't get more efficient during the time you spend training, but afterwards based on what you did in your training and how the same can be said about processing trauma while you're in, while you are processing it in the therapy office on a hike, while journaling, you are aroused and will likely feel some of the same sensations you experienced during the trauma afterward. You'll need to rest and take time to integrate any changes in perspective or new understandings you may have so that really gets at kind of the um the need for rest recovery and integration in all facets physiologically emotionally um in doing the work of living and healing so anything you want to share about recovery rest integration i would love to hear it those are my favorite things
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah no it's interesting i think um when we hear about rest and recovery It can be a hard sell for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. But I think at the root of it for a lot of folks is um, who struggle with the word, you know, with the idea of rest is uh, it's actually very similar to why yoga can be not accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. There is an issue with stillness, right? For many people, stillness is, linked to a trauma experience, right? And so if that is the case, finding stillness is not going to help you recover, right? It's going to be activating. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that rest and recovery doesn't have to look like stillness. And, um, you know, it can look like doing you know going on walks and Mm -hmm. you know i talk about steady state cardio um, very specifically in the book because that's actually a great one especially for people who love their cardio Mm -hmm. um and don't like to sit still it's actually um you set your body up to recover by working a little bit hard like you are breathing steady state cardio takes you into state where you're breathing a little heavy maybe get a little glow a little light sweat you can still talk to somebody, but you, your heart rate's going. It's a moderate level of exercise, like uh, in terms of cardiovascularly. And um, that prepares your body to start doing, you know, in a heal muscle fibers heal and they get bigger mm-hmm. and stronger and increases your capacity to lift more weights or run faster, depending on how you're training. Um, and you need to put that in there the same way. <laughs> you need to make time to integrate whatever you're processing in your, you know, in your relationships, in your conversations. Um, I mean, when you finish a, I, this is one thing I think we forget. We, Mm. we come through a stressful experience. Say you have, you just had a really hard conversation and it was a good conversation, but it was hard. Most of the time, if you think back to some time that recently that that happened for you, you don't feel great afterwards, physically, mm-hmm. like shaking like, "Oh, I want a nap or you feel shaky or feel like I was hit by a bus. You still have stress hormones mm-hmm. coursing through your veins. So you need to process that. And the way to process that is usually to do some movement. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes we're so exhausted, we just need to sleep. That's a whole other issue steady state cardio helps you with that. Um, but you need to make time to do both, right? We talk about activation. So your, your nervous system has gone mm-hmm. up, you're in an arousal state that has to come back down, right? You can't yeah. stay up there. And sometimes we need to help it come back down. And especially in the case of trauma, a lot of the time we actually need to really encourage the nervous system
0: to yeah. settle. Yeah. And, and it's sometimes that- come up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like completing the stress cycle rather than going from I'm way up here to like mm-hmm. a crash. And this is the last quote that I want to share because it's so important. And it's one of those things that's, that's, you know, relevant in movement and in life is the di- differentiating between rest and collapse. So yes. you say that rest is different from collapse. Rest is different from collapsing from exhaustion. Collapse means you've depleted yourself and your body is going into emergency reserves. When you're at rest, your body is still at work, integrating all the things you're learning, processing, and developing. Collapse allows for survival while rest allows for recovery. Surviving is good, but only recovery makes space for thriving. Yes. Yeah. It's because um, that's, you know, in the conversation of like burnout, right? Yeah. It's like people are go, 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 and then collapse, crash, vegetate, And like, yeah, please do take that rest, (laughs) sit and watch your show. Like that's fine. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily going to integrate and help us to metabolize the stress of the day. So then we're just kind of piling stress on top of stress on top of stress, as opposed to like you're saying of true rest, where which might include some kind of active recovery stuff is actually gonna be the thing that helps us Integrate the rest and really restore. Exactly.
1: I think I, you know, there is. I always feel like they're the the two. You and people, I think, have sometimes they're one and sometimes they're the other. I know that's the case for me. You'll mm. have the two impulses, which is the Netflix, my my Real Housewives binge, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the um, chasing catharsis in the gym, folks. Mm. I'm gonna crush it. Like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just, I'm going to get it out. I'm going to leave it on the floor. And in both of these cases, you know, in the, in the collapsing, you've already covered that so nicely. You're not actually integrating anything. And if you are going so hard, you're just heaping on more stress hormones. Yeah. Just more um, until you are collapsed. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, the conditions activation and recovery um, is parallel to the process that I know you allude at one point in the book to to Judith Herman's trauma recovery model of um, kind of resourcing stabilization uh, processing and integration. It's all, it's all the same, isn't it beautiful? And it's the same with the cool down, right? Yes. Like, you know, you
1: do your aerobics class and at the end, there's a cool down at the end of a yoga Jane class. Fonda, like you talk
0: about in the book. <laughs> My Jane yeah. Fonda. Mine was Denise Austin. And also, um, Oh, what was her name? Richards on, uh, on body electric, Margaret Richards. Oh, okay. My, my thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well, I, I just can't speak highly enough of the book and, and the thing, I love the title lifting heavy things, but just as an encouragement for anyone who's like, well, oh my gosh, like she does Olympic Olympic lifting or powerlifting. Like that's not for me. The book is not about that. Like, yes, there are things where it talks about like the specific benefits around lifting or, or doing strength work but it's about any kind of movement and using that as a tool for healing, um, and just becoming a more embodied human. So thank you so much for writing it. And I I've already shared it with some of my clients and I'm going to keep sharing it. Um, and now I'm like, I'm like, I'm really tempted to become a personal trainer. I know I don't need to do that, but it's just, (laughs) I just love, I love the work. Thank you for doing it. Um, can you tell people what you're offering, where they can find you anything else we should know about what you're up to?
1: Oh gosh. Yes. Well, I'm very findable. If you can spell my name, you can find me, (laughs) lauracadari.com. And on Instagram, that's also my handle is Laura Kadari. Uh, it's on Twitter. Also, I am on Facebook. Um, I write regularly for on Medium about these sorts of things, as well as a little bit of creative nonfiction sometimes. Um, so you can go ahead and follow me there. And if you do go to my website and um, sign up for my newsletter, you actually get the, the introduction. like It's like the first 30 pages of the book uh, for free which is nice. And access to a free resource library. Um, And right now I've been mostly offering workshops. I offer workshops for writers, uh, writing about trauma. And I have a new one that I'm offering now, Mindful Movement, the most empowering, transformative, and self-compassionate approach to moving more and feeling better, even if you hate the gym. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so yeah so I offer those workshops and I will I'm happy to come into organizations and give them as well as do them on my
0: own awesome thank you so much for being here this has been wonderful thank you for having me I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it that would mean so much to me for show notes as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes, head over to www.gaiacenter.co. That's G A I A Center.co. You can follow us on Instagram at The Gaia Center and follow me at Val K Martin, V A L K A Y Martin. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.